New Year, everybody doing good? Wow! All right, who's it going to be, Alabama or Clemson? Who's it going to be? Everybody that hates, everybody in the SEC that hates Alabama all year, all of a sudden, like, yeah, Alabama, SEC, you're all loyal fans now, right? To let uh, Nick Satan or Nick Saban and his team. Um, anyway, we're going to jump right in. We've got a lot to talk about today, all right? Uh, we're, we're in the, the, the series, Year of the Bible. It's going to last a whole year, so I hope you like it. Uh, we had a great week, been talking to a lot of folks. I've been noticing a lot of you, you're posting on social media and stuff that you're getting with your kids and getting into these reading plans, the one-year Bible, all this. It's been really cool. I was talking to someone this last week. They're telling me that they have read more of the Word of God this year already than they did all last year combined. I was a little surprised to hear that from Cody when she told me, but I'm really thankful that she's, that she's reading the Bible. It's so good for the pastor's wife to, to read the Bible sometimes. So, uh, Here's what I want to say. Look, uh, I don't know where you are with this, and, and, and the last thing we want to do is to ever try to make somebody feel, you know, guilty or shameful or whatever that is like, oh, man, I got behind my reading, or I haven't even started at all. This is what I would encourage you to do. When you come to church on Sunday, just let that be a refresh button on this vision. Let that be a refresh button on you getting into the Word. Maybe you got behind, maybe you didn't, whatever, but... But let's start today. If you got behind, just jump in now and and get with it because this is what I believe. I believe this year, if we'll do this as a church, the more of us that we do this as a church, man, we're going to grow more than we've ever grown before. We're going to grow spiritually more than we've ever grown before. And here's the deal. Whenever you grow spiritually, every part of your life grows. When you grow spiritually, it changes everything around you. As a church, we're trying to make this as easy as possible. I mean, you can get a hold of these reading plans in so many different ways. Website, you can go on the website, get the reading plan there. If you don't like websites, you don't like our website, well, you can go to social media and track on social media. If you don't like social media, you can download the app and you can track through the app. If you don't like technology, you hate technology, you wish Al Gore would have never invented the internets, well, then we've got bookmarks for you. It's a bookmark. There's little technology. We use technology to print them, but that was it. And you can use those and, and follow along with those bookmarks. We'll have those new every month to help you track with the reading plans on that. Maybe you just don't like reading altogether. You just hate it. You quit doing it when you're in junior high and you haven't picked it up since then. Well, you can listen to the Word of God on the Bible app. It's pretty cool. It's pretty convenient. You can even speed it up. But depending on what translation you use, be careful because it'll wind up sending, sounding like a chickmunk on crack. So... Um, I would, I would suggest the New Living Translation if you want to listen to the audio version. Uh, but, but, and if all that fails, like I mentioned last week, we'll have a pastor just come to your house. I'll send Jared. He'll come to your house. He'll read you the word. Tuck you into bed. It'll be sweet. He's, he's just loving like that. He's got a very soothing voice too, so I'm not really going to do that. But, but, but the point is this. Let's get into the word. Amen. How many guys appreciate the word of God? Amen. All right. So since beginning this, this last week, we've already, we've covered a lot of ground. Adam and Eve, the fall of man, knowing the ark, the tower of Babel. Uh, and, and we're starting to get into um, some other significant characters in the Bible. Uh, we talked through some themes of these books, okay? Last week we mentioned that the theme of Genesis is the book of beginnings. That's the main theme. Psalms, it's songs of praise. It's a book of praise. Uh, Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom. We, we read through a lot of that back when we were in the Don't Be Dumb series. A lot of us read through Proverbs then. We're going through it again now. And then Matthew... Now, the primary theme there is the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. Now, some might say that the, the 
the theme of Matthew is Jesus, King of the Jews. But when Jesus was preaching, he was preaching the kingdom of God. He wasn't preaching about himself being King of the Jews. And so a more appropriate theme of Matthew is the kingdom of God is here. Now we're getting into some main characters like Abraham. Started talking about him this last week. Remember him from Sunday school. Remember Father Abraham? That's what we called him. There was a song. Sing it with me. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And then it gets obnoxious and we're going to stop right there. But you're going to be like, this is the reason why I don't come to church, sweetheart. <laughs> You're making me sweat already. We're going to just, it just gets obnoxious. We're just stopping right there. That was awesome, though. I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> Good for you. Okay, so Abraham, he didn't have many sons. He actually had two sons, right? Now, it's talk, the song's talking about his lineage, but he had two sons, Ishmael and Abraham, right? Now, here's the deal. Let's talk about this to you guys. Because right now, if you're up to this point, just start talking about Abraham. But before that, we're talking about Ishmael. We knew about him, right? Who is Ishmael? Well, God had given Abraham a promise. He made the promise through his wife, Sarah, that he would give him many descendants. That was the promise in the covenant. But Abraham gets impatient, right? He says, I want to try. I just don't want to keep waiting. This just doesn't seem logical. It doesn't make logical sense that this can happen because Sarah is like 100 years old, and that's just gross. And, uh, but, but, uh, so I want to make sure that this, this promise is fulfilled. And so what does he do? He goes and sleeps with Hagar, and that was a monumental mistake. Every time you have to take your shoes off in an airport, it is related to that mistake in his life. We're paying the consequences, and it's a huge consequence that we're paying because he decided he didn't want to trust God. How many of you guys want to be obedient to what God tells you to do? Amen? Okay, so he didn't do that, made that mistake, and so we're learning about Ishmael. We're going to start learning more about Isaac this next week. The single most important thing about Abraham, though, is the covenant that God made with Abraham. What is a covenant? It is this promise at the time that we're, we're reading right now is actually like a legally binding agreement between two people. It put people in an unbreakable relationship with each other. It was just like this extreme promise. Okay, so God is making this promise with Abraham, this huge covenant with Abraham. By the way, Abraham didn't deserve the covenant. There was nothing that he did to earn this covenant. It was just by God's grace and his sovereignty that he makes this covenant with Abraham. But in this covenant, he promises Abraham three things. He promises him land, his own country. He promises that he's going to give him many descendants, as numerous as the sands on the shore, the stars in the sky, and that he would bless all of his descendants Every nation on earth would be blessed because of Abraham. Okay, so we, through the new covenant of Jesus, are in that promise. We are connected to that promise. We are Gentiles. Without Jesus, we would not be connected to the blessing that was established through Abraham. Because of Jesus, we get to participate in that blessing. How many guys are thankful for Jesus? Amen? Okay, so... In the book of Matthew, we read about Jesus. We read about the genealogy of Jesus, okay? How many? That was an exciting chapter, right? Come on, Genesis 10 and that one talking about genealogy. <laughs> listen to that one. Listen to it fast. But, but, but it's important because it shows how Jesus is directly connected to Abraham, okay? And because of that, we get to participate as sons and daughters of Abraham like everyone did before that. 
I want to talk a little bit about this covenant stuff so that we, we can understand a little bit more length. Um, okay, first of all, there was always a sign whenever there was a covenant, okay? So remember Noah, Noah in the ark. Noah comes out of the ark, all the animals, all that, his family, and God makes a promise, makes a covenant with Noah that he would never destroy the earth again by flood. As a symbol, as a sign of that promise, he gives Noah what? A rainbow, right? That was the sign of that promise. Now we have Abraham. God is making a promise to Abraham and a covenant to Abraham. And God's sign of this promise to Abraham is circumcision. How many of y'all know Abraham was like, could I get like a double rainbow or like a falling star secret handshake, something like that, God? I mean, come on, Noah got a rainbow. (laughs) This is tough. He's like a grown man. God's like, go get circumcised. I'm telling you, it just wouldn't be, it would would be uncomfortable. Uh, So in this, it's important that this is a cultural thing that happened a lot in the Old Testament. And uh, it was as a result, it was the bringing together of people. It was a bringing together of relationships. Now, this is something that as a culture, I, I think that we don't get anymore. We don't really get covenant anymore in a lot of different ways. Uh, I, I, the thing is, the whole Bible is built on covenant. It's established through covenant. But we've, we've kind of abandoned it in a lot of different areas. Okay, one example would be marriage. The covenant of marriage is the most sacred covenant outside of salvation that you can possibly make. But, and here's the deal. Before I go any further, I want to say that if, you, if you've had a failed marriage, if you've messed up, I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to live in the past. Please don't go there. Do, there is no condemnation for anyone that is in Christ Jesus. So you don't have to live in the past. You can't unscrambled eggs, so don't go there. Move forward. But you need to understand that if that is in the past, let it be the past, but you need to understand the importance of covenant now. That when you establish a new relationship, when you move forward, when you make a covenant, this is a big deal. And too often in our culture, we are driven by feelings rather than covenant. So we get into a marriage and the feelings change So we try to go somewhere else to find the feelings. Well, guess what? The covenant didn't change. The covenant's still there. But if you are driven by your feelings, you will never experience the blessing that God would have for you because you are constantly devaluing his covenants, devaluing what's important to him and to his heart. I think it's important that we choose covenant. Covenant is a lot like love. There's a lot of times you have to choose to love. Not every one of us wake up every day, look at our spouse and be like, I just, oh. Look, you get, you get seven years into marriage, it's like, sometimes like, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm going to have to choose to love this one today. <laughs> it ain't going to be easy either. But you have to choose to love. It's the same thing with covenant. There's going to be times when it's not easy to keep covenant, but you choose to keep it. So in Matthew we're starting to get into this reading of the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the most important and famous sermons that Jesus gives. But what we need to understand is what Jesus is doing. The Old Testament, you could just call it the Old Covenant. The New Testament would be the New Covenant. And what Jesus is establishing right here in the sermon are the principles, the main points and values of the New Covenant. 
These are the things that are important under the new covenant. So he goes through the Beatitudes, okay? Another way to say it is this shall be your attitude. If you want to know how to have this new covenant in Jesus, these are the ways that you act and respond, okay? So Jesus is talking about this. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36, Jesus talks about the importance of covenant relationship with the people around you. It says this in verse 36, or chapter 22 of Matthew. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, these are Pharisees trying to entrap Jesus and trying to get him to trip up on his knowledge of the law of Moses. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. So what he's also doing is he's drawing in this important covenant called the Ten Commandments that he made with Moses. The first four commandments of the, uh, of the Ten Commandments have to do with your vertical relationship with God. Everything with, with God, right? So he's, he's drawing that in. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing a completion. I am summarizing this law, making it very simple and easy to understand. But the covenant, covenant is equally as important. But he goes on from there, and he says, and the second is like it. In the original language, that means like almost identical to it. Like if, if you're going with importance, this is only just a couple percentage points less important than the first part of that law. The second is love it, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments, okay? This is covenant that he's talking about. And too often, we don't have these kinds of relationships with people where we're just, we, we don't understand how important it is. And, and what Cody and I have tried to do our whole lives is we've tried to establish these covenant relationships. No matter where we've moved, where we've worked in ministry, we, work, we move in and we begin to pray, God, show us who here we're going to have these kinds of relationships with. And so over time, we have covenant relationship with people in, at other campuses and other states and other places because we've established these covenant relationships. There's a lot of principles that you could talk about under this, this idea of what covenant relationships. So I want to talk about one important element of what we would consider a covenant relationship, and that is loyalty. That when, when they talk about us publicly, or they talk about us when we're not around, we know they've got our back. And we have the same with them. And we believe that the public loyalty gives you private leverage. In other words, we also give them permission to challenge us, to hold us accountable. We get off track. We're not being obedient to, to what we know is God's plan and will and purpose for our life, that they can come in and say, hey guys, because we love you, because we're in covenant relationship with you, we need you to see this. We need you to hear us. These are the kinds of relationships that God would want us to have. And this is what Jesus is trying to establish even with his disciples. And he keeps talking about this over and over and over again. So he sits down at the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of different ways that that these covenants were established in the Old Testament. Let me talk through some of them. Uh, First of all, there might have been an exchange of clothing. This was a sign of this covenant, an exchange of clothing. Like they would literally exchange robes, exchange belts. Okay, this wouldn't really work in our culture. I wouldn't suggest you go out and be like, Charlie, give me your wrestlers. We're going to be BFFs, okay? I wouldn't do that, but but that, that was a lot less to do with the clothing and a lot more to do with the identity. It was like, this is a part of me. And as we give each other a part of each other, then then we become one in this covenant, one in this relationship, one in this friendship, okay? Another way would be just through speaking these promises, a vow, a blessing, an oath that you're taking. Another way, 
an oath of blood. Now, this is sometimes they would literally cut, each, cut their hands and then shake hands, and there would be commingling of blood. And it was like, now, wherever you go, I'm going with you. I'm a part of you now. We're in this relationship together. Sometimes there was a name change. They would exchange and, and give parts of their name to the other person so that their name became a part of their name. That was one way that they would show it. Another way was through a covenant meal. That's my favorite kind of covenant right there. Come on now. You want to be good friends with me? You better sit down and feed me. Come on. Okay, and this is what Jesus is doing at the Lord's Supper. He's sitting down with his disciples. They're talking through this, but they're still missing what the new covenant is about. I mean, even at the Lord's Supper, the disciples are fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit where, and all this kind of stuff. And so Jesus is like, okay, look, you guys need to understand, this is a new covenant. Whenever you come together, you need to remember me and this new covenant that I established. And and it was things like this. If you want to be the greatest, you're going to be the least. You want to live, you got to die. It was things like, Pray for each other, support each other, encourage each other. These are the principles of the new covenant under Jesus. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another. So Matthew 5, Jesus is getting ready to give the Sermon on the Mount. Now I want to talk through these, a couple, three of these Beatitudes. We don't have time to cover them all, but these, if you want to call them something else, you can say these are principles of the new covenant. These are ways that God is saying, if you live these ways, you will be blessed under the new covenant. Under me is the new covenant. This is how you're going to be blessed. The first one is this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not saying like, like if you're, just, if you're poor, you're blessed, okay? It's not the same thing. Like some of you are like, oh, I know what it's like to be poor in my spirit, because uh, it was after Christmas and my wallet was empty and my credit card debt was through the roof. It's not talking about that kind of poor. It's talking more about a realistic, accurate description of who you are in light of who God is. That you understand that from the very core of who you are, you are desperate to be close and connected to God your Father, that you understand that without Him, you are hopeless and helpless and can do nothing in your life. Your spirit is destitute without the presence of God. In our culture, this is hard for us because we like guys that walk in with swagger, right? Demand attention, demand an audience, and it's okay to be confident, but your confidence, true confidence, can only come from a place of brokenness and desperation before God. But when you get in that place and you realize that in spite of who you aren't, that God lets you be in him, then it gives you the confidence to say, I am a son, and I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. But you can't get there and do that until you are first poor in spirit and being humble. So Jesus is trying to communicate this to his disciples at one point, and the people that are around him, so he wanted to tell this story. These two guys, in Luke 18, verse 10, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Tax collectors like the bottom of the barrel scum of the earth in that culture. Nobody liked them. Everybody hated them, okay? 
the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. You can hear the bravado and the arrogance as you read through this. You may have met somebody like this. They don't got a lot of friends. Nobody wants to be around them. This is how he prays. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. I want you to look down your aisle right now. Look down your aisle and see if you can just point out a robber. You know, somebody that just, you just know, if you turn your back for a second, they're going to steal your wallet or just an evildoer in general. Like you can tell, okay? Now let's not look for the adulterers. That could get uncomfortable. Let's just move on, get focused back on the word. Okay? But he's judging him like crazy. He goes on to say, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I tell you that, and then, but the tax collector, tax collector, he can't even look to heaven. He can't even lift his head to look to heaven because he just, he's coming to an understanding, a realization of how utterly broken and desperate he is. So he beats his chest and he says, have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. Nothing without you. Jesus says he's the one that went home justified, not the other one. He was the one that understood it. One was an actor. The other gets it. And that word justified just means that you're confidently righteous, but you understand where your righteous comes from. It doesn't come from you. It can only come from Jesus. That's why the Bible says that he stoops down and makes us great. He stoops down. He never says he's always reaching up and trying to prop us up further. He's saying he had to, I don't care who you are. God had to scoop really, 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 really low to pick us up. And so people that understand that, that he blesses, they get it. So it's the new year, right? So the gym is packed right now. It's just packed. This is one of the things I've noticed. Like, there'll be people in there, they haven't worked out for like a decade. But they'll stick with it in like two, three weeks from now if they're still sticking with it. Not likely, but if they do, if they stick with it, here's what will start happening. You'll start noticing. They'll start like talking more, like posting Instagram pictures and stuff. Like, they the man, they the woman. Like, I've been working out for three weeks. And then they start judging everybody who don't work out. Slops, bunch of losers. You've been working out for three weeks. So let me caution you with something. Right now we're in the Bible, right? And some of you may be in the Bible more than you have been in a really long time and maybe your whole life. I want you to know that God wants to give you understanding and revelation. But if you're not careful, what can happen is you can get a little self-righteous. 
all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I've been reading the Bible. I've been doing pretty good now. I'm gonna just feel like I might have some really good revelation to give to some people. A little bit of heavy revy. You know, some juicy Raymond nuggets that somebody needs to hear from me. I got something to give and something to offer. Somebody needs to listen to me. And you've been reading the word for two weeks. Just be careful. The word of God is there to give you this accurate comparison of who he is and who you're not so that you're poor in spirit. And when you understand that, he'll bless you. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. The second part of this, the second beatitude I want to talk about, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Pastor Rick spoke the same message. He touched on this point, gave a great personal story from this. I want us to listen to him right now. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Say this with me out loud. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, every now and then I'll hear from one of our pastors like Jason Kimbrough in Northwest Arkansas or It happens here at this campus and in other places where we'll get that phone call. Somebody lost a loved one. And I'm gonna tell you, it's a difficult time. I don't know if you've ever been in mourning, but this verse, it's strange at the first glance because the word blessed, it literally means happier those that mourn. How how could that be that you're happy when you're mourning? Uh, last year, I'll never forget this. Last year, my dad, he was dying. And my dad is one of the funniest people you will ever meet. And when he was dying, he was like still funny. But at times, he would just say the most profound things. And, but one day, I was with him. And it was in the, in the afternoon, maybe the evening. And, and I knew the next morning I was going to have to leave. I wasn't even there for 24 hours. And my dad looked at me and he said, And I thought he was about to die. And my dad looked at me and said, son, I need you to kill me. I said, what? He goes, I just can't take the pain anymore, son. I need you to kill me. I said, dad, I can't. That's against the word. It's a, I'll go to prison. He said, I don't care. I want to die, as we say. And uh, I said, dad. And he's just, so the next day I went there and the doctor told me. He said, I don't think this is going to, I think this is it. And his pulse rate, and he was just very, very weak. He could hardly speak. So I'd been thinking about this moment and asking God to give me that moment to say my last statements to my dad. My dad always listens in on, on uh, the weekend, so I know he's, he's going to listen to this, this talk. And my, my dad, he... He's just looking at me. I said, Dad, I want to say something. I want to speak to you. The doctor's saying this could be it. And I just want to, I want to talk to you about something. He goes, go ahead, son. And I just laid it out, man. I mean, God really helped me. And I said all the things about my dad and why I love my dad. And I'm just saying it all. And then it's done. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, it's his turn now. And, uh, but he, he could only speak so soft that I had to get close. My dad, I, I thought about not telling you all this, but I just have to tell you. He said, son, uh, I want you to tell everybody I died with AIDS. I was like, 
This is his last statement. And I said, why? He said, because I don't want anybody to marry my wife. <laughs> so I'm just like laughing. What? Dad, that's the funniest thing I ever heard. And he just kept saying things that were so fun. Then he looks at me and he says, he goes, I want to tell you a true story, true story. And he's so serious. And I, what is it, Dad? I, this is true, son. This is true. So I'm thinking he's going to tell me I'm not really his son, or I don't know what he's going to say. And he goes, the true story, a polar bear was walking home from school one day. <laughs> okay, and then I'm just laughing out of control. And it took about an hour for he could even finish the story. Anybody want to hear the rest of the story? He said, the polar bear was walking home from school one day, and I just can't hardly stop laughing. My dad is dying, and I'm laughing. And I said, well, he goes, and then when he got home, he asked his mom, am I a full-blooded polar bear? And she said, well, go ask your dad. He goes and asks his dad, dad, am I a full-blooded polar bear? He said, yes, son, why do you ask? He said, because I'm freezing. <laughs> so this is my dad's last statement to me. So I walk out, out of the room just laughing, and I just realized I just saw my dad for the last time with joy. Okay. The Holy Spirit can give you times of joy when you're in mourning. I've had people describe it to me. When they're going through the most difficult time, they'll say, you know, I, I sense so much grace from God, I can't even describe. I've had them tell me they feel guilty about the joy they have during difficult times. Does that mean it's always that way? No. But I know there's a lot of pain in people's lives. I was talking to some people this week that they've lost their job this year. A lot of people in our state may lose a job or mourn a decision that they make or someone will die or maybe they'll get abused. But what the Spirit of God is saying, you're never going to be blessed if you just try to cover it up or you mask it or you go to drugs or alcohol or a sexual relationship. <laughs> you're never going to have the blessing in the kingdom of God there. For you to get this, you got to come to me. By the way, his dad's doing great. He's out of the hospital, and uh, God really moved in his life. Amen. Praise God for that. You know, I think another way that you could, you could say this, blessed are those who are real. Blessed are those who are authentic, sincere. I've noticed that Christians stink at this sometimes. This last year was a tough year for our community and for our church. There was a lot of loss. And I'm not saying any of this for a pity party, so please don't take it that way, but I'm trying to be real. When you ask God to break your heart for a city, he does. And so when people lose loved ones, you don't feel it the same way they feel it, but you feel it. And, um, and I love that as a church, we're able to be here for people. We're able to be here for families that have lost loved ones. But we buried a lot of kids this last year. It was tough. And I remember the day that I was getting all the information on the four girls that died in the car wreck. And at that point, I knew I was going to be doing at least one funeral. I didn't know how many of them I'd be doing. Um, and I found out I was doing, I was doing at least three of them. 
and that night I remember just driving around. I got in my car, I was on myself, and I just drove around, and, I'm, and, I, and I was crying pretty hard. Uh, hard enough that I had to pull over because it wasn't safe anymore because I couldn't even see where I was driving. But, but actually, where I was driving to is to go hang out with some friends. Because I, I do believe that when you are, are real about your hurt and your pain and your life before God, that that opens the door. But I don't know really if you get the blessing unless you do it with someone, unless you have community. I have a life group. I have people that I live life with. I have people that when I am hurting, that I can go and be with them and they can encourage me. And they can remind me of the peace that transcends understanding and the supernatural joy that doesn't make any sense. I remember even that night, I was went and I hung out with some friends. I was laughing my tail off. I was still so sad and I'm still sad. But I'm blessed. Because I know God is good. I can be real. I've got people I can be real with. I would encourage you, you need that in your life. Where you can just unload. And if you can't, man, you're going to be missing out on a blessing. I don't want you to have it. The last thing is this. Chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you were hungry, but you didn't know what you wanted, so you just went and stood in front of the fridge? Like the door's open, just like staring at it, like I don't I'm not going for the kale. I'm not gonna eat that junk. It's, fall asleep after eating kale, I'm gonna have some violent nightmare or something, you know? But you're hungry. You ever been in a season where you just got so full on on junk that you weren't hungry for anything else? I don't eat a lot of junk food, but when I do go on a road trip, it's like all rules out the window, right? Because if I'm on a road trip, like, first of all, I won't let Cody drive. I got control issues. I don't trust her. She makes me uncomfortable. So so I got to drive. So I'll be driving and and, and I'll drive through the night. If it's a long road trip, we drive through the night. We got four kids. I don't want to hear them nonsense the whole time. And so, so we'll drive while they're sleeping. So I'm doing anything I can to stay awake, give myself energy and all this. It's just sunflower seeds and chips and energy drinks and just all this nastiness. And I'm just full. A few years ago, we took a trip down to, to spend Christmas with my mom's side of the family, my grandmother specifically at her house. And I remember we drove through the night, Christmas Eve, to get there Christmas Day. And we got there Christmas Day. And, and you, if you ever stepped out of a car, like after a road trip, there's a specific odor that comes with that, right? And it's like, you don't smell it. You're like immune to it. But everyone else smells it. So you step out of the car, it's like, ah, it's a combination of sunflower seeds and monster drinks and nastiness. And so... So I'm just like, but I'm there. I'm triumphant. I made it through the night. I didn't kill our family. That's good. And, and I, and I, but as soon as I step into my grandmother's house, I smell the food. And my grandmother, we have this traditional meal. It's, it's called steak casserole. It's, it, it's hard to describe except that it is heaven on your tongue. And uh, it's really, really good. And, and they start, she started laying out the spread, right? Laying out the spread. The problem is I am sick to my stomach from all the junk that I ate. So now I'm mad because I can't even eat 
the food. Like I want, I like try to take like a little tiny bite, and I'm just, I just start crying. I'm just like, what? God, why? Why did I do this? It was the worst decision ever. You know, I was poor in spirit. I was just like, help me, God, and and I couldn't eat it. The same thing happens with the world sometimes. Sometimes we're so full, and it isn't necessarily sin, but it's just the world. We're so full of junk, we don't have any room for the good stuff. And the word says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness means, it just means that you understand who you are and the price that Jesus paid, but you're motivated to live the lifestyle too. And when you get in this place, what I've learned is you cannot will yourself to be hungry physically. When you're full like that, it's not like you just keep telling, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I know I'm going to be hungry, and make yourself hungry. It doesn't work. Why? You're full. You've ate too much. You're full on something else. You can't will yourself, you can't will yourself mentally to be spiritually hungry. You can't will yourself necessarily to do that. You have to remove something. You have to flush something out of your life and out of your system so that there's room for the things of God. And I feel like this is something that God is asking us to do. He's like, okay, you're reading the word, but you can read the word without the presence of God. You can read the word without the leading of his spirit. You can read the word and it just be words. But if you are hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness, that's when the word becomes life. It really becomes bread. It feeds you. But you've got to make room for this. This is one of the reasons why I love fasting so much. In the new year, every year as a church, we do some sort of fast, okay? So this next week, the 17th, Sunday night, we're going to have a worship and prayer service. We're going to start our, our week of prayer and fasting. The weeknights, every night at 6.30, we're going to open this place up Monday through Friday to allow people to come in and worship and pray together. I'd encourage you to make some margin in your life, but this is the biggest thing. We're just asking you to figure out something in your life that you are going to do without, something that would feed your flesh that you can do without so you can be a little more hungry for the things of God. And there's a lot of different ways to do this. I mean, it could be sweets. It could be caffeine. If you fast caffeine, tell everybody, warn them beforehand because we know how you are when you don't have your caffeine. But whatever it is, some of you, it may be fasting Netflix. Come on now, let's be honest. We could probably do with a little bit of fasting of Netflix. Just saying. Fasting something just so you can say, instead of doing that, I'm just, I'm going to hunger and thirst for the things of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this. So here's some times that I think it would be important because this would be great if this became a lifestyle for you. Sometimes it would be important for you to fast. Fast during tough times, okay? Just when you've got major, major issues going on in your life. In 2 Samuel, David fell into sin in chapter 11 and by chapter 12, he was caught. 
Nathan the prophet came to him and he, he called him out. He put his finger in his chest and said, you sin. Because you sin, you're going to go through some really difficult times, including losing your son. David began to pray and fast. He still went through the difficult time, but I believe that his prayer and fasting is what sustained him through that season. If he hadn't have done it, I don't know that we would have read history the same way. So fast during tough times. Fast for favor and the protection of God. There's times in your life when you just you need a little extra protection as a church. We're, we're always praying, fasting for, for God to protect the innocence of this church. In other words, we just don't lose our edge. We don't, we don't lose what God's called us. We don't fall into sin, that we're, that we're on guard in, in the word. There's a lot of instances. Esther was one of the people that was getting ready to go before the king, and she wasn't supposed to. And really, she, he, she could be killed because she was going to do it. So she asked the people around, let's, let's fast. Let's fast. Fast and pray for me. I will go before the king after three days. If I perish, I will perish. When you fast and you're believing God for his protection, you just have this confidence that no matter how, what happens, God's going to take care of you. God's going to get your back. Fast for forgiveness. More specifically, fast for forgiveness as a nation. This is a big thing throughout the word, and I think it's pretty relevant to where we are right now. Look, you may not look into our culture and our nation and see a whole lot of repentance, and that means the body of Christ has to step in the gap. We need to repent on behalf of our nation. There's a lot of instances. Joel went through this. Joel 1.1, 1, 1, he opens up with saying, I declare a fast, a holy fast. Why? Because his nation is falling apart because locusts are consuming everything. It's a tough situation. In chapter, 12, verse tw- or chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. In other words, if you'll humble yourself, you can come back to me. Humble yourself, okay? Another time to fast would be to find the will of God. I think this is so important because a lot of you, you're making big decisions right now. Some of you make decisions about your, where you're going to work, where you're going to live, maybe a relationship decision. But so often we do those things without a whole lot of consulting of God. These huge decisions, I would encourage you. If you're getting ready to make a big decision in your life, Identify something that you're just going to make a conscious decision. I'm not going to do this over the next few days so that I can get more from God and hear more of who he is and his will and his word. Look, there's a lot of different ways to fast. I would would encourage you to be praying about what it's going to mean for you, but this is the reason why. God is going to do incredible, miraculous things in this church this next year. He already is. But this isn't just for our church. This is for you personally. I love that a lot of you are getting into the word right now. It's so important. But I don't want you just in his word and not have his presence. Not have his anointing. Not have his power. Not have his protection. Not have his leading, his guidance. Let's hunger and thirst for the things of God. The only way it's going to happen is we're going to have to, we're going to have to identify some areas that we're going to do without so we can get more of him. I believe if we'll do that, we're going to be more blessed this year than we've ever been before. Amen? If you believe that, give the Lord a hand right now. Let's pray together. One of the most important covenants you'll ever make is your covenant between you and God in relationship. Salvation is a covenant. The covenant that you're making when you accept Jesus 
is first and foremost that he is your Lord. In other words, he is the supreme commander and in control of your life. That you want to do his will. And then when you establish that he is your Lord, it is through that that you also receive his salvation. And so often we love this idea of Jesus as our Savior, but then we find ourselves like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I said a prayer and I, I believe that Jesus wanted to save me, but, but the problem is you may never have made him your Lord. And it is until you make that decision and, and then you live your life with him as your Lord, where it's like, man, he's in control. I'm gonna live the way he wants me to live. That's when you experience the real freedom that comes from him. Salvation is is this amazing, incredible benefit. But it's a benefit of first making him your Lord. So if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or maybe you did at one point or another, but the covenant between you and him has been weak for a while, you need to reestablish that. You need to rededicate your life to that covenant with him. I want to give you a chance to do that today. If you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior, rededicate your life, recommit yourself to that covenant again. Nobody looking around. If that's you, if you can just look at me and raise your hand, I want to pray with you this morning. God, thanks, man. Yeah, I got it, thanks. Make sure I see you as soon as I see you. Put your hand down, got it. Over here, got it right here, thanks, man. Anybody else? Come on, Christians are praying. Got you there at the back. Thanks so much. Praise God. Anybody else? I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Anybody else? Okay. Just want to pray for those who raise their hand. The word says, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth, you'll be saved. You can make a, a private decision in your chair, but you need to go public with this decision. Here in just a little bit, we're gonna do water baptism. That's the best way that you can possibly go public with your decision. It's, it's a part of this covenant. It's, it's you saying, I made this covenant between me and Jesus. Now I want everybody else to know about this covenant that I made. It's a great way to do that. Right there in your seat, just have a conversation with God where you say, Lord, I, I, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe right now that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again for my sin. And right now, I make a covenant to make you, Jesus, the Lord of my life. I I don't wanna do this on my own. I'm not gonna try to live life for myself. I wanna live life according to your will. So I make you my Lord. And I thank you that because I'm making you my Lord, you're also gonna save me from my sin. You save me, you set me free, you restore me, you heal me. And I thank you that because of that, I'm in covenant with you. And because I'm in covenant with you, I understand that what it means to be poor in spirit and, and recognizing what you saved me from and that I can be real and sincere before you and for the body of Christ. And because of that, I can grow. And, and because of that, Lord, I'm also gonna... I'm gonna hunger for what it means to be more in love with you every day. Help me to understand that. Lord, that's our prayer. We love your word. We love reading it. We want it to change us in Jesus' name. We thank you for it, God. Help us to continue to be the sons and daughters you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand. We had seven or eight people raise their hand, I think. Come on.
Welcome to the family. Let's all stand together. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, like I mentioned, we, we'd love, we've got clothes. If maybe you weren't even planning on, but we've got clothes that you can change into if you want to be baptized here in just a little bit. Uh, if you have any prayer requests, anything that's going on, let us know on, on those, those connect cards. We want to be praying for you. If you're a visitor, we're getting ready to pass some buckets. You can drop those connect cards in there. Or, or, or please, we'd love to meet you face to face. Go out to the Welcome Center. Uh, before we give, let's look at this verse together. This is what it says in Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. One of the things I've noticed is there's a real tendency in our culture to be driven by worry and fear about having security. And one of the biggest areas that we have fear and insecurity is, is in our finances. I mean, you saw big time, last couple of days, you couldn't even get into a gas station all over this state, all right? Because people were in there buying tickets because they wanted to try to have this huge thing, even though, even though the odds are 290 million to one. Somehow it's like, if we could do this, and here's the deal, if you play the lottery, I am not gonna condemn you for that, but please tithe in Jesus' name if you win. Come on now. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, how awesome would that be, right? I don't even know if God would bless it or not because I, it's, I don't know. But, but, but this is the point. The point is this. This is the promise from God that if you put him first, he's got your back. He's got it. He's got your back. Put his kingdom first in every area of your life. One of the biggest areas and most difficult areas for, for us to trust him and put him first is with our money, right? Because it's the biggest area that makes us the most insecure and fearful. But he says, look, Seek first my kingdom. Put me first. Put me first. I got you. I got your back. No matter what, I got you. I will add everything that you need. Amen. Let's pray over our giving. God, as we give, we're thankful. I pray that you would bless every person, whether they've already given online or mailed it in. Every person that's about to give in these buckets right now, Lord, as they're, they're dropping these offerings and these tithes in in obedience, it's a symbol and a sign of them saying, you're first. You're first. Your kingdom's first, and I trust you. I thank you, God. You're going to add everything to us because of it. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give.